business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. Over my 30-year career, I've had the opportunity to, to know lots of business bankers. Some are really good and some not so much. And the, the, the ones that really make the greatest difference are the ones that that have been in the trenches and those that that can offer something more than just simply just simply finding money it's somebody that can help with structure somebody that can help with seller challenges someone that can help with just what does the future of this business look like when i use in this case, SBA financing. And so enter Heather Anderson. So she is the president of Viso Business Capital. And it's a new company. She was with the number one SBA lender and she saw a need and she is filling it. So Heather's been in the business for 30 years. So she's seen you know, ups and downs and the ins and outs of SBA lending. So she has started and managed, like I said, the SBA uh, Lending departments for banks of all of all kinds of sizes, and most recently, she was the top producer at Live Oak Bank, the number one SBA lender in the nation. She launched uh, Viso <clears throat> simply to simplify the loan process for acquisitions for entrepreneurs, so they can spend more time, you know, on due diligence and less time trying to find funding. So she and I had this. We had a great conversation and and I'm so grateful for the time that she spent with us. And I can tell you that <clears throat> she's a different kind of lender and and that's what the kind of person that you're looking for. There's all kinds of there's good lenders, but there's a different tier and and Heather is certainly in that bucket. I also should should mention that she is um she is a fourth host of one of my favorite podcasts, Acquisitions Anonymous. And so you can you can hear her over there talking about different deals and structures and how perhaps they might, <clears throat> you know, how Viso might source funding for the deals that they're looking at. So I'm 100% certain that you will get all kinds of good value nuggets from, from Heather and as much as I did. And uh, I'm 100% certain that you'll enjoy this conversation I had with Heather Anderson of Viso Business Capital. Well, welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you for having me, Ed. And congratulations on the launch of Viso. Tell us about, about it and, and what you're going to do with it. Well, thank you. And I'm super excited about Viso. It is um, basically a loan brokerage that's focused on acquisition loans, mostly SBA. It's, it's a, there's a number of reasons why I'm not taking on very many uh, conventional engagement. So it's mostly SBA acquisition loans. Um, and my aim at Viso is to save buyers time during their precious, precious 90 days of diligence. 
They've got 90 days to go figure out everything they need to know before they close on this deal. And they need to spend less of it talking to four different banks uh, and, and more of it doing diligence. So that's my main goal. Well, over the years, you know, the 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 SBA, whomever there were, whoever the buyers working with the it, working with with the SBA, it is so important that they are the sellers understand what the buyers are going through, and that's part of the reason why I'd like to. I I, I want to be seller focused. I mean, we 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 do have a lot of buyers that listen to this, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. I do think that sellers need to understand from from what the buyers are going through. So mm-hmm. I guess that the first question I want to talk about is is what are the programs that the SBA ha- offers? You know, I know mm-hmm. you have your 7A and your and your 504, but and and please talk I'm don't let me don't let me answer for you. So go ahead. What are the programs? Yeah. So the main program is the 7A, the SBA 7A. That's going to be the the big loan that really is at the bulk of the transaction. It's a term loan. It's a seven year, or sorry, a ten year term loan. Um, 504. That's only for real estate. So they only really comes into play. And and sellers, if you're going to sell the real estate and the business at the same time, my advice is split the contract. If the if the buyer's going with a 504 for the real estate and a 7A for the business. They might close at different times. The 504 takes longer. And so it's nice to be able to close your enterprise sale with your 7A loan that's a little faster and then allow the real estate a little more time to close. I've, I've closed a few that way. And then you have another program called the SBA Express. And that is usually used for, for working capital lines of credit. Uh, it only goes up to 350, 350,000. So it's really meant for smaller lines of credit. But a lot of uh, acquisition buyers end up with one of those that they can access post-close. It's not something that's funded at close, but they can draw down on it as they need for seasonality or carrying receivables, things like that. Yeah. So switching back to the 504. Now, what is there's a threshold, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, where they blend the 7A and the 504. What what is that threshold? Do you know? Yes. Okay. So SBA has a $5 million limit uh, on the 7A program. Um, and that effectively, it's a 75% guarantee. So there's that means 3750000 is the limit that they'll guarantee. If you do a 504 and a 7A at the same time, and you pro- uh, get one approved before the other, and now I've forgotten which one it is, but I mean like a minute yeah. before or a day um, before, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think it's the 7A first, actually. You can actually get an additional $1,250,000 worth of SBA runway. So it's a little bit, it's a way of doing a little bit more SBA guarantee that makes the banks more comfortable, a little bit easier to get the whole thing done. Okay. Now I thought there was, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. We've had some deals that there's been a 17 year old blended, a blended oh, deal. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yes. So that's when you're going to put real estate and enterprise in one seven A loan. Oh. So whenever you can, whenever you're going to buy it both at the same time, close them at the same time, and you put them in one seven A loan. There's two things that might happen with the term. Instead of just a ten year term, you're going to get 25 years applied to the real estate and 10 applied to the enterprise, and it's a blended average term. Maybe it ends up 14 or 17 years. There's one other little advantage there, though. Only kind of works in the West where real estate is more expensive, but. If you have a business where the real estate is worth more than the enterprise, it's going to sell for more. 
Mm-hmm. The buyer can get put them both in one loan and the loan term is 25 years for the whole thing. So they okay. get an advantage when they buy real estate that's worth more. And and is that fixed is that fixed money or is that still variable rates? It can be either, but most okay. banks prefer to stay variable, but they, during this run up they were offering 3 and 5 year fixed rates. So uh usually the banks will give an option. Got it. Well a lot of so a lot of sellers these days don't know that there's big changes going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they see they they see the prime going up and and I guess that's probably the first place we, we should we should at least poke at is you know the people that you're working with or that where you're sourcing sourcing deal funds where you know what's their what's their appetite for for today's transactions because we know we know borrowing power has been reduced. Yes, it has. So the buyers of today, of this moment, have to find a way to structure less debt as a percentage of the bank debt anyway, as a percentage of the overall transaction. So they might um, they might need more seller note, uh, unfortunately, for the sellers. Uh, they also might raise more equity. So this is something a lot of sellers don't realize. There are serial small business investors now, lots of them who are wealthy individuals who have made lots of small bets, if you will, investing in folks buying small companies. So strangely enough, it is maybe almost a little bit easier for a a buyer to raise equity for a good deal than it is to raise debt. And the reason for that is equity has upside. If they do really well, the equity can, you know, can make more. Uh, Debt doesn't. Debt only has downside. Yeah. Have you seen... uh what what's the the buyer typically paying for that it's basically mezzanine well i guess it's not mezzanine debt it's no it's equity. actually equity yeah 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 well, you know it, the terms vary uh okay. we, we've talked to a lot of investors and i keep a pretty good database of investors it's usually some kind of a preferred return so they'll get some preferred equity with maybe an 8% coupon or 9 these days okay. um it's not like debt though they don't have to pay it if the cash flow is not there they won't get that until the end until there's a, a sale or an exit or, or whatnot but uh it's not cheap money but it's still possible for them to get equity that they don't have to repay on a monthly basis so that there's more cash flow left for the for the debt payments yeah and, and to be honest with you i i think we're going to see a lot a lot of that and i th- i think you 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 are too that or mm-hmm. you feel the same that we're going to see a lot a lot of those a lot of those investors are going to come out of the woodwork mm-hmm. because that's that's the only way that these things are actually going to pencil out at the value you know that the yeah. the sellers want yeah. um which now brings us to to the next thing of all these new SOPs that uh, are mm-hmm. coming out from the SBA and I know I know there's you know they've got what two months before it, it actually mm-hmm. is is I don't want to say ratified, but before it, it goes into, you know, law, so to speak. But what can you talk a little bit about some of the some of the bigger issues or opportunities mm-hmm. that um, that that are going to help these sellers? Right. So we've been we've been for SBA size transactions, which is kind of any business under maybe two million of EBITDA. Right. The the buyers are most likely going to be using SBA. We've been having to structure deals within these SBA rules for so long that it's really going to be interesting now that so many of them have just opened wide up uh, how how different deal structures are going to be possible. So the first one that's really interesting is rollover equity. 
or the seller retaining some ownership of the business. The old rule has been sellers have to sell everything. They cannot keep any rollover equity and they have to fully exit the business of any kind of role in 12 months. Both of those are gone. Those rules are gone. So seller can roll over, seller can stay. Very interesting. Yeah. What do you think? How do you think the, yeah, I I was, I was debating on, I I think that works really well with shareholder buyouts. I think that, you Mm -hmm. know, some junior guys buying out, you know, uh, you know, though, like in our practice, we have, you know, some, some older guys that eventually are going to, to exit. It makes a lot of sense. Um, because from a loyalty and transition, you know, they, my team would look to me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we wouldn't have that, but I'm just curious, like a third party comes in and says, look, you know, you're going, we're going to roll, roll over this equity. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep your 20% or 19%. And I'm just curious to know, and it's a crystal ball thing. I mean, there's no way to, to, to know mm-hmm. where, where the, the staff loyalty lies. You know what I mean? That yeah. that's a, that's a hard one. Don't you think? I do. I think that the, whether to roll over equity or not, and this comes from the buyer's perspective and the seller's perspective, has everything to do with the chemistry between the two individuals or more oh, uh, people, yeah. and what the, what the vision for the future is. If it's a shared vision, it can be great. Like I've definitely done rollover equity in the non-SBA side of my, right. of my career. And I've seen both kinds of outcomes, though. I've seen really great, great outcomes and really not great outcomes. And that usually comes down to if it's not great, it comes down to the people just didn't, um, they weren't on the same page or they became not on the same page at some point. Yeah. Well, it, I think it's, um, I think it's hard at, for, for, um, for employees, especially if there's any kind of change coming. But I, but again, it's back to the transition. the 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 way you handle post sale matters does matter, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that person, you know, it, yeah. When you're, it's so funny. We we keep talking about about these um, business owners, especially the the seventy year old plus. I mean, every employee wants to know what's going to happen to their job. They can see mm-hmm. the guy or the woman aging. And so bringing someone else on and being able to stay visible mm-hmm. within in the company, I, to me, I think that there's opportunity for, um, I, I want to say, uh, an amplified, favorable transition mm-hmm. under those circumstances. So I yeah. hope that works. You could even foresee breaking a deal into a couple of parts, right? Somebody buys sure. in a small percentage and stays working side by side with the seller maybe for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And then is ready to buy them out maybe the rest of the yeah. way. You could do that. And I think that's that would absolutely be a better outcome for for a buyer and, and this yeah. the staff, like you said, yeah. to kind of ease into it. I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities that way. So let's talk eligibility for a second. So I, I often I often hear either my business is too big for the SBA or my business is too small for the SBA. Can you talk about eligibility requirements? Yeah. And it, it doesn't usually come down to the actual eligibility rules. So there is a, you can, you can Google this term, but you can do SBA size standards. And yeah. there's two different ones. One, one is based by NAICS code 
And it's either dollars of revenue or number of employees, depending on the industry. Mm-hmm. And then there's something called the alternative minimum size standard. And okay. most of the companies that we're going to be talking about that have less than 2 and $3 million of EBITDA are perfectly below those standards. So eligibility-wise, most of these companies are going to be fine. It's bank credit appetite that sort of drives, though, whether uh, a buyer can get funding, right? Sure. And so banks tend to favor different things. They don't, banks don't like lending on really small acquisition loans. They might do other small SBA loans, but the, the fact is that putting together an acquisition SBA loan is very expensive for a bank. It's an awful lot of work for everybody, really, but it's also an awful lot of work for a bank. So below a certain dollar amount, that's usually 500000 of loan amount. Uh, most oh, banks don't want to do that. It's too small. Uh, you know, and, and the funny, I'm I'm glad you, you, you share that because one of the things that always bothers me is just say no. Don't, <laughs> you know, just if it's if it's yeah. not in your wheelhouse and it's or if it's too small, just say so. And and so often, you know, the bank or the BDO just doesn't want to hurt the feelings or I, I'm not really I sure. I have another what? reason. I have another, yeah. uh, well, I've been in, in banking too long. So uh, <laughs> it's because there's a lot of salespeople. They're salespeople. Yep. So um, they want to make their pipeline look full. Oh. And no, then have excuses later on why deals fell apart. That's so there's a certain there's a certain percentage of salespeople out there who will just take anything in, throw it in their pipeline to make themselves feel good or look good, even though they oh. know deep down they're never going to get that deal done. That's a good point. So for the sub half million dollar deals, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, let's, you know, your rule of thumb is roughly 50% of revenue. So a million dollar business. So mm-hmm. it's half million dollars. Where do those people get funding? It's not easy. I mean, I, I get calls I have for years and it's it, the, my best advice to people looking for a good deal to get done on a small loan is CDFIs, certified, uh, uh, Oh, gosh. Community development. Sorry. Community development financial institutions. Um, A lot of them have an SBA license for for smaller deals, and that's kind of their mandate. Uh, But you have to find one that's your deal fits in their geography and everything else. But that's probably the best bet. I get it. Uh, One of the things I was talking, I was talking to another lender this morning about ESOPs. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems as though though ESOPs are becoming more and more favorable with the SBA and and mm-hmm. and various lenders. Are you seeing the same? Yes. I mean, uh, they, they, the SOP has a whole section now on how you can uh, lend on a, to an ESOP transaction. So they're, they've made the rules more favorable. I think what I've understood is that it's the same thing that we just talked about. Below a certain size, that yeah. it's just too expensive. To do so, and I'm not even sure exactly what that size is, but it's it's more than 500. Well, I'll tell you what we we have in the last, gosh, six months. I mean, people have shown up at our doorstep about unwinding the the you oh. know they want to sell and 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 they're an ESOP, and mm-hmm. you know it it somebody got a hold of them and and just jammed ESOP down mm-hmm. their throat, and it and it just wasn't the right it just wasn't the right tool the right exit tool for the situation and they got mm-hmm. into that it's still profitable but boy oh boy they it was mm-hmm. just it was just a mess but anyway um okay so can you tell me from a seller's standpoint you know every seller just you know as soon as they get go under LOI they think it it's 
immediate. All, all of a sudden, everybody should just be just be moving as fast as they can, and they don't understand this, especially this financing component. So I, I wanted to talk about the the application process and what is a typical timeline that somebody should anticipate. Well, let's start with the timeline. Um, I know most LOIs are going to be at 90 days of exclusivity, but we've we've actually got a couple of surveys we've done. Uh, and then just our own anecdotal experiences doing lots of deals as lenders. They usually take between 90 and 120 days. <laughs> that hurts. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, it, and it is it kind of goes to what you're saying. This this process is lengthy and um, no one party is in control of the whole thing. So you're waiting for the other party. They're waiting for you, et cetera. Um, they're waiting for the bank. Uh, the bank's waiting for someone within the bank. So it causes all these little small delays that add up, but it can be done in 90 days. So I'll give you like, if you're wanting to sell and you want to close in 90 days, here's how it can work. You want to make sure your buyer uh, has already got an idea of where they're going to go for the debt. Hopefully it's Viso because I'm going to shop all the banks for them. Nice. <laughs> but they've got, hopefully they figured out where they're going to go before the LOI is signed. They go straight there on the, they say, I've got a signed LOI. I'm ready to get started. Um, they make sure they get a term sheet um, from, from banks within the first week. That's what that's, it shouldn't take longer than that. If they've got, as long as the seller's giving them access yeah. to the tax returns and all that sure. stuff that they need. So that's the other thing, seller, don't make sure your deal rooms Organize. I'm sure Ed is going to make sure of that, uh, but they don't all have Ed, unfortunately. No. So if sellers real organized, given everything, term sheets can be out in a week, and then it can go into underwriting. Now, in underwriting, there's banks are going to ask a lot more in depth questions. Um, sellers need to be quick with the responses if they can, um, and provide the additional backup support to some answer that the bank might want to see. And there might be a quality of earnings report that the, that the buyer is going to engage. Uh, so it's like financial due diligence. And the seller has to give them access to the books so they can do that and answer questions. So it's a, it's pretty time intensive for sellers at that point. Well, and and the funny thing is everybody talks about this. Everybody talks about the things that you're going to have to have in order to and not only survive due diligence, but in order to keep the deal together. I mean, you're talking yeah. 120 days you know, and, and that's customary. And the funny thing is that, you know, when you start crossing the year's halfway mark or crosses mm -hmm. over a year in, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden everybody wants to talk about, you know, what's happened in the last 120 days while your foot's been taken off the gas because you're, because you didn't prepare well enough in advance, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's, a, it, it's a landmine that can be sidestepped if you just take just a, little bit of time getting your deal room together and going, you know, going through a, a process rather than, you know, I'll, I'll solve. And, and this is the next one of the next questions is everything seems to be the buyer's problem. And the mm -hmm. seller fails to realize that at, at least 40% of the buyer's problem is his or her problem, <laughs> you know? And, mm -hmm. and so I guess that's what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is is how those sellers, and I think you, you, you pointed on, you know, a, a number of good things as far as getting the deal room together and and being prepared. Is there anything else that the seller can do to make the lender and the buyer's job easier as part of this process? 
Yeah, I think it's just be prepared for how much time, you know, you're, you're going to have to dedicate uh, in those few weeks that the deal is in underwriting. You, you are going to have to unfortunately be distracted by that process. And, and you never know when the questions are going to come, but you want to be able to stop and whatever you're doing and try to answer those questions as clearly as possible at that point. Um, I, I think, and, and really just having a really clean deal room is, is probably absolutely the, the, yeah. the bare minimum. I get it. All right. Well, one of the things that get scrutinized is the business valuation. Now I've, mm-hmm. I've done SBA valuations myself in, you know, over the years. I'm, I don't want to say I'm not a fan. I, I just, you know, if the deal pencils out, I mean, I, I like to think that, you know, that's a good indication of whatever the buyer's paying is a decent value, but that's, that's just, that's just Ed's pontificating. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that happened to a lot of sellers is that the business value comes back and it, perhaps it doesn't make the deal price. And mm-hmm. so what do you do then? Mm-hmm. Well, we should. I agree with you. If, uh, if of all the deals I've seen, when I pencil it out, I I don't even think twice. I know this deal's going to appraise. There's very few times where I'm at all concerned. And if I am, it's because already the debt is too tight. Right. The debt's too tight. Then the right. debt, it might not pencil. But but then I have to remind myself that there's a lot of qualitative things that go into the business valuation, and it is very subjective. Right. It's a very subjective report. It's not like we can get real estate comps and, and figure it out. There's no comps. Um, so I think, you know, what do you do if it comes in short? Well, usually you can, I don't want to say argue, but you can make some more points back. You have to kind of read the thing and see where they felt there was a weakness and you have to come back with a counter point to that. Um, maybe they misunderstood something. And I would say that I haven't had very many of those happen, but when they have happened, we got the value up by just explaining things better to the valuation. Uh, that's a good, vendor. no, that, that's a great point is that, you know, Again, it's back to preparation, you know, mm-hmm. because the sim or or whatever is being used as the document as part of the valuation has to be clear enough that the appraiser can mm-hmm. can follow can follow along. So yeah, all right. So so the good news is what I hear you saying is that you can go back to the appraiser and and mm-hmm. offer some rebuttal commentary on why why or why not this doesn't work. All right. Yep. It usually works as long as you have a real good point, you know, um, it it usually works. You know, they're trying to do an appraisal of a business from a desktop. So it's easy for them to misunderstand something or miss something. No, and that's true. And, and like I said, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, if you can make it pencil out, I mean, you, you kind of feel pretty good about how, how it's going to land on, on, on its way back. Mm -hmm. Um, Idle loans. I, I'm curious, you know, that's some cheap debt. So for, mm-hmm. for a lot of sellers that, that, uh, that are listening that, that, that didn't, you know, participate. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's the uh, idle is what emergency. Um, uh, oh, I don't, geez. Disaster <laughs> loan DL. I don't remember what yeah. the eyes were. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, any rate, the idle loans, that's 3% money on for 30 years, right? Three, three and a half percent. Are you seeing that as a, 
as an as an assumable debt. And what you know, what do you think? What do you think of that as a a manner? You know, it's it's mezzanine debt, but on the I shouldn't say mezzanine debt. It's it's debt that it's cheap money, yeah. and I gotta. I mean, in no way around it. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on if a seller is sitting on you know a million dollar idle loan, you know, at three percent. Why wouldn't the buyer assume that? And and from your perspective, you know, how do you make that deal work? Yeah. So I completely understand why everyone's looking at those loans saying, can't I keep that? I don't want to pay that off. I, I get it. And I, I've seen this question floated around um, and I've been in SBA lending for a long time. I know one thing about assumability with SBA loans. SBA never releases the initial borrowers or guarantors. They really? only add more. They don't take oh. your name off. They just put the new guy's name on or gal. Oh, geez. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's as that's as bad as a lease. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So we we have that conversation a lot. That look, you, you know, you're you may with with the sellers we work with, you know, if you've got a lease in place, you're not that landlord is has no motivation to take you off. So they're going to burn through all of the buyer and the buyer's wherewithal before they get to you, but. But there's still not, there's no motivation to release. I had no, I didn't know that. That's it. The same thing with SBA loans. So there, in my mind, that makes them not assumable because you're not not transferring it to another party at all. You're just adding more parties to it. Um, And it's a really clunky uh, back office for the EIDL. So when we do pay them off, because most of them just, that's the only way to sell the company is to pay it off that I've seen. Uh, You have to like pay it off directly on their portal. There's nobody to call. The banks can't like verify anything. You actually pay it off on their portal and take a screenshot and send that to the bank. It's oh, really I, real- I know. And well, yeah. I just, I just didn't. Yeah, I had no idea. I, I could have. I thought that that was that was relief for the seller, but I, I can, I can see that. Um, yeah. There's nobody to help you do the docs or anything anyway. So, there, you know, I don't even know if you could reach someone at the SBA to put the new borrower on the loan. I mean, I think that would even be wow. probably very difficult to get done. Well, that is, I was looking, <laughs> I will find what idle loan. The problem is you don't have a bank in the middle. So you don't have a bank yeah. office of a bank. All you have is the government and and they're not really answering that phone that, <laughs> anymore. Well, the ideal phone. Well, I'll tell you what, a lot. It's I'm glad, I, you know, you've said some some great things during our time here, but I'll tell you what, that might be a big one because I know a lot of sellers that are that have heard that the idle loans are assumable and mm-hmm. it's it really. they are. But but you're not off the hook. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So are there any as part of this process, are there any fees that the, from that the seller should expect going through the this? loan process fees for the seller i mean no i mean not related to the buyer's loan anyway the buyer has to pay for their attorney they're having to pay for their quality of earnings all their diligence so um no as far as the fees it's really just whatever their engagement with their own advisors their attorneys and oh can i say you probably already say it a million times but you know it's super important that sellers use a m&a attorney not some other all attorneys aren't, 
be able to do this well. And uh, if you use the wrong kind of a journey, you could be blowing up your own deal and costing yourself a lot of money. Yep. We just had, we had, we just had that conversation on Friday. We had a closing and it was, it was, the docks were, were rough. And, and, and again, they, the seller, the seller, good, good news was represented well. Buyer was not represented well. Mm. And, and again, I, it, it was a fairly clean deal, but at the end of the day, I mean, that, when that buyer becomes a seller, boy, I, I I hope that 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 party is not is not part of the deal. Yeah, a bad attorney can ruin. They can completely ruin it, or they could just make somebody pay three times more attorney fees than they should have, right. and they really frustrate everybody because they don't understand market terms for these right. types of deals. Well, I I think I may have told you. I mean, we had an attorney once, you know, recently that asked for you know a sample of our documents, and I'm like. You're an attorney. I mean, how many times have you done this? And you're asking yeah. me for a sample of one of our con- finished deals? Oh, my no. gosh. That's Unbelievable. No, it was not. Um, so you had mentioned quality of earnings, and we're mm-hmm. seeing that we're seeing that more. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, not, mm-hmm. not a bad thing at all. Um, mm-hmm. I wish there was a, uh, a way. I was talking to Elliot Holland about it, that, you know, that the that the buyer could sell to the seller the quality of earnings to be used down the road. Mm. You know, that, that, Hey, it, we did this, it didn't work out for us, but this, this is a valuable document for you. And I mm. hope, and I, and I, like I said, sellers are as part of the preparation, you know, they should anticipate someone's going to scrutinize them really hard. And, and someone like, you know, guardian coming in and doing a Q of E is a really, yeah, that that's a good thing for a buyer. So I guess what I'm asking is, are you seeing more of that being done on you from your, from your standpoint? And is the, is the lender that you you're working with triggering it or is it the buyer triggering it? It's mostly the buyer. So yes, I'm seeing it more and I'll give you a little history lesson since I've been doing this a long time now, uh, maybe five or six years ago, there were very few Q of E providers right. focused on smaller companies. They were only kind of upmarket doing large um, businesses, middle, true middle market businesses for private equity. And they were charging 30 to $50,000 and they still are doing that. But now we've got several vendors who are focused and have the right price point and, and scope of work for small deals. So that's number one is it didn't really exist as a service at, a, at the right price point until fairly recently. And and second, the buyers are kind of buying into the the fact that this is a good idea for them. This this is keeping them safe more so than the banks requiring it. Banks do require it on certain occasions, like let's just say it's a carve out, something where you don't have a standalone tax return, so then you have to have one. But a lot of SBA banks they still haven't caught on quite to when to require it or should they require it. But most buyers, a lot of buyers, I should say, not most, but a lot and a growing number and percentage are wanting to do a Q of E to kind of give them peace of mind um, about the, 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 the cash flow. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I did. The, the funny thing is we had a, a, a regional bank, Asked for a Q of E and and made the buyer made the buyer pay for it mm-hmm. and and that deal didn't go together 
And, mm. and that was 30 grand worth of, of Q and Q of E work. And I was, you know, everybody was sick about it. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've been in 30 years. I've never seen a, a bank require Q of E. I've seen lots of buyers, but I've never seen a bank ask for it, which was, anyway, it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. And I mean, I guess it depends on what the Q of E came up with. It would be kind of like a business valuation. Did they miss the mark? And if so, you could argue back. Or did they find something that wasn't being accounted for correctly? I I can certainly look at some businesses and say, I bet you something comes out of this Q of E that's not great. (laughs) Going in, I know I can just tell we have a lot of inventory. There's not maybe a great inventory control system or that's the information we're getting. I would expect that Q of E to adjust the cash flow. Well, I think I I think that we're seeing especially in like construction businesses. Mm-hmm. I, 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 because those are, you know, those things are, there's a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. in those things and, and how you, how you treat revenue and expense and, and, yeah. and whip. I yeah. think those are all real, real opportunities for someone to kind of scrutinize them and mm-hmm. rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. I am. Um, one of the things that, Every, you know, it's funny, all these sellers worry about, about getting the business back. And I, and I'm sitting here going, there's a 2% default rate. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're talking 98% of the deals going Mm -hmm. together, Mm -hmm. stay together. And it's kind of like seller financing. You know, you just hear about the horror stories. No one talks about how, you know, over the years that that's how, that's how this stuff works. And, mm-hmm. and selecting a buyer that is, you know, capable financially as well as operationally, that's, that's how this program works. So, but I, but I said, I would, I would ask the question. So when you have SBA, all right, you have an SBA loan in front of the seller. So there's a, either a standby note or there's some sort of seller financing or the seller has some sort of interest in, in this case, oh, this I, as I'm talking about this, I may have already answered my question, but I'll see if if you <laughs> if you and I are thinking the same. So, how does the seller get back the business or recover any of the value? I mean, can can they intercede and say, "Look, I'm I'm here. I will fix this. I'll I, I can't assume. I guess I got to reapply and get my own business back." But how, how does how does a seller do that? Yeah. So there there is a process. Uh, for what I will call like a short sale, where okay. a buyer has sort of shrunk the, the earnings down, but it's still positive. There's still mm-hmm. profitable business there. It's just smaller than it than it was. And now maybe it's just got too much of an SBA loan. You know, uh, okay, so that's okay. a little bit of an over-leveraged business. Uh, seller's got a note behind him. You can sell a business to another buyer and that new buyer can get an SBA loan. But I mean... It, it's not usually the seller. It's usually a third party. Maybe yeah. it's an existing employee. I've seen that done before where there's a good employee that will step in, do the SBA loan with a personal guarantee and assume the seller note and, and get a new smaller SBA loan. So it kind of brings the leverage into a, a better uh, position. But you need a really proactive owner, you know, buyer sure. who has taken over. They have to it's very psychologically difficult for for a lot of these buyers to raise their hand and say, "I need help. I'm in a bad spot." Um, a lot of them try to power through it, or sure. maybe they let it just go too far. It 
So the seller would have to have really good communication with their buyer. How are things going? Can I help you with anything? And, and identify things before it goes too far. Well, I'm wondering whether or not the equity portion solves that. All right. So if I, if I take a larger seller note, you know, I'm in second position, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to retain, I'm going to retain 5%, 1%. I don't care what the percentage is. I'm first on the list to get the business back, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm a shareholder. That yeah. might, that might be the workaround. I yeah. don't, I, I don't know. And so, as a shareholder, you can say, I want quarterly board meetings, you know, yeah, where no. I can see what's going on and, and understand. Well, I, I think where this stems from is I, a while back, there was a seller that wanted a first rider refusal and, mm. and under underwriting would not give them that first rider of, of refusal mm. in their deal. And, and, and mm. I don't, re- I don't remember why, but, but it would be, that would make some deals more palatable if you, if you were the guy or the woman that could, could just come back in and say, look, all right, it didn't go, it didn't go as planned. Let me see if I can fix it and I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just with really good communication with the with the new buyer, that is very possible. All right. Well, I, w- I want to be sensitive to your time because you were generous with that. So I, w- I want to talk about Baizo for a minute. And, and you know, I, as I as I've come to 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 know to know you, I mean, clearly you're 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 competent. But I, I guess I want to know what what brought you out on your own. <laughs> you know what what makes you different? How are, you know I. Being my age and having seen what I've seen, you know, I, I'm in a unique position and I think I, I see the same unique position you are. And so I want to talk to, about Viso. So fire away. Let, tell me about about it, how you got into it, what you're going to do with it uh, and how we can work with you. Well, uh, thank you for, for asking. I, um, I have been a banker for over 30 years working at, you know, four banks directly. And I realized something. Um, and that is when I'm representing just one bank, I can only represent one point of view. Um, and that really limits, you know, um, the types of deals I might be able to do or the types of situations I might be able to assist with. And I see this uh, small business um, acquisition market continuing to grow. And I don't think it's driven entirely by people retiring. The way it sort of got started maybe was that. But I think where we are now is that um, there's enough liquidity, there's enough buyers, there's, you know, there's just a critical mass has been reached that it's, we've, we've made it possible to buy and sell businesses. You can sell a business if you're younger and you don't have to wait till retirement. You, you could decide for for a variety of reasons that you want to sell a business. So I think that's kind of just driving all of this growth. And I, I believe I can serve the whole community better if I can represent lots of lenders and lots of points of view for these deals. I got it. So the lenders that, and that's, that's always been a kind of a question is how do you select the the lenders? I mean, it, it, because all lenders aren't created equal. I, I can tell you in our community, I can tell you who's more conservative, you know, who who has the appetite for 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 what kind of deal. So I'm just curious to know how, how do you select it or it, do you have a, a you know, an RFP that goes out to all of them or is it, hey, I know just by virtue of who I am and what I've done over the years, I know where, who the handful of people that this is going to appeal to. 
a lot of it is that. Ed. A yeah. lot of it is just simply my years in the business and my network and just knowing I can pick up the phone. It's not even just that they'll have the appetite for it, but that they will give this deal the attention it deserves. They have the capacity for it okay. right now and they will be responsive and get it done. You know, um, so that's all part of kind of my my own thought process. But I, I also keep a database. And I keep that populated with not just what they say they'll do, but with what they're actually doing and how they're changing. They do change. That's the other thing. It gets harder to track because every bank changes their credit appetite from time to time. Uh, And I also work with a a partner company called Lumos Data, and they use the SBA Freedom of Information Act database for all kinds of really cool things with banks. And let's just say I get a deal in the landscaping industry. I will use their data to see who are the lenders who who did the most landscaping deals. That's fine. Yeah. And then, and then I know that those lenders understand that industry. And sometimes that's the the right bank to pick. Well, the funny thing is they're, they are coming on the podcast here in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's going to be interesting because same kind of thing. I'm, I totally, I'm totally with you that this, this, the landscape, the buying and selling landscape is going to be so much more data driven. Mm-hmm. And who's the, who's the right tool for the for the job? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm I'm really stoked to 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 know that you're partnered with it. That's a, a great organization. Her have heard nothing but great things about them. They're awesome, and and data is awesome. The more we have actual facts, uh, you know, to to back up what we're doing, is it's just super helpful. All right, now for the hard part of the interview. So, crystal ball. All right, tell mm-hmm. me, tell me. This time next year, what do we what do we have going with the SBA? And I won't hold you to this. This the you're you're on the internet. You can say anything you want. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, you know, what is it gonna be like a year from now? I, I think that we've just seen a very big rule change. So I think a year from now we're going to see how that plays out in terms of what situations will the banks use that in? When will they allow rollover equity and how much? Uh, we don't know yet. So a year from now, we might have the answer to that. Like which banks are are comfortable with these new rules and are applying it to different situations? Is it opening the door? Like I said, for me, like maybe slowly buying into a business now that it's possible. Maybe we'll see more of that where someone can buy 25% then buy the other 25, you know, whatever it might be that makes sense for that particular deal. I think it'll mean more deals get done because we have more options, definitely. Um, and I think that you know, we'll have another we'll have another year of credit performance to look at that data to see if there's if the default rate ticked up a little bit. My guess is it will a little bit, not not a lot, not dramatically, but rates are very high, and uh, you know defaults happen even in good times. You know because these are small companies and things happen. So um, I think it'll be up, but it'll only be up a little bit, and I think everyone will kind of be one year better uh, about how to do all of this safely. I agree, and and you brought something up. As far as like the fractional interest buyouts from a valuation standpoint, oh my gosh, I, you know, with discounts and premiums for fractional interest, I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, how are they ever going to calculate that? And if I'm a minority shareholder, who's going to govern distributions? So mm-hmm. as if I'm 75 and you're 25, I can control, I can control this. And, mm-hmm. and so I can control the distributions and subsequently I can control the repaint your repayment. So it'll be real interesting to see how that, that part works. 
Anyway, you, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, one thought I do have, and that is, um, you know, I think with some of these situations, whether it's third party investors or the seller rolling some equity, I think um, one of the solutions might be using like a, uh, a uh, controller type service, the ones that host your QuickBooks and having everybody have visibility day to day into the books um, so that there's better monitoring, you know, create some dashboards so they could look at it on their phone and make sure that their investment is uh, is being handled or their loan or whatever is is going okay. I get it. All right, back to the crystal ball. So uh, election year, we always know everybody has big promises. So you have anything for the? I guess that would be twenty five. Any any revelations there? You know, I, I I'm I've been pleasantly surprised that regardless of which party is in is in power, the SBA has been pretty well supported. It, there was a time way back when that wasn't necessarily the case. Right. One party was not supportive and, and one party was. Now they're both pretty supportive and we've always been able to get good funding. So I think that there's a general consensus that this is good for the country, good for the economy. So I don't think the election matters except for one thing, that it, it uh, it's real uh, difficulty every year end. Uh, if anybody talks about raising capital gains, even if they just talk about it, because remember, yeah. politicians talk about a lot of stuff that never actually happens. Right. Uh, <laughs> but every time that gets talked about, it puts it under a magnifying glass and people get really worried that they need to close the deal you know, before a certain date. So, um, you know, th- I think that adds uh, it, it adds some urgency to some closings um, yeah. every time we get near an election cycle, because that that becomes a talking point somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I, I I'm with you. I think that I, I I do believe that 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 same sentiment that, you know, this this whole wealth transfer thing, this is this is really these are taxable events. And mm-hmm. if things are going well and you're and businesses are, you know, you've got a two percent default rate, you're able to aid, you know, mm-hmm. subsequent generations or subsequent buyers that are you know, a generation behind to, to buy these things. Oh my gosh. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I do, I do foresee a, an easier way to get perhaps some community incentives, you know, some mm-hmm. of the, some of the tax breaks. I wish that would be a little bit easier for, for, and faster for buyers to be able to say, all right, I can, rec- I can immediately add value. Not only am I buying this, but I'm picking up, pick whatever the, mm-hmm. the, the, the savings is. All right. Um, all right. I ask this question from every with every person I've ever had on the podcast. So what's the one piece of advice that you would give to business owners that would have the most immediate impact or yeah, the, the most immediate impact or the biggest impact on their business when they go to sell? Well, that's planning ahead and that's not running too many personal expenses through the business before you're going to sell uh, in those couple of years leading up to it. It's, it gets it makes the numbers really messy for lenders to get behind if they're adding a lot of stuff back. And sometimes it's adding back things they can't really verify. Mm-hmm. So if you want to maximize the value of your business, that amount you're saving on taxes is probably less than the multiple you could get paid on the earnings. And I think I would just look at it that simple math that way. I know it's nice to not pay taxes. It's fun or, you know, but it's just from a sheer value perspective, you're going to get more out of not doing that as much. I got it. All right. What's the, uh, where can we, where can we find you? 
I am, uh, I'm on Twitter as Anderson Heather and I am on LinkedIn and I am, uh, I have a website called visocap.net, V-I-S-O-C-A-P.net. Okay. And I will have all these links and everywhere to find you in the show notes. So Heather, I I am so glad to have visited with you. I've been looking forward to this and, and yeah, it's, it's been you you certainly delivered everything I had hoped you would. So thanks for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved. 